0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's word to be challenged and changed. How are we doing today? All right. It's like it's back to school week, isn't it? Almost. It's getting there. Yeah. For, For some of you guys going back to school, you're like, oh no, but for the rest of us, we're like, yeah, go back to school. Thank you for those, to those of you in here who spend eight to nine hours a day with our kids. It helps take the load off of us. So anyway, no. Hey, listen, when I was a kid, I loved playing the game Hide and Seek. Remember that game? It's a great game, right? It's a wonderful game because it's so easy to play and you can play it anywhere, and it's a game that, that just demands ingenuity and creativity, because almost any place can be a hiding spot. You just have to be creative and think and strategize your plan. But in hide-and-go-seek, what you do is you have a couple people that count, or whatever, one person, and then you have a bunch of people that hide. And so as the person's counting, you know, and they got to have their, their, their eyes shut, you know, and they can't peek or whatever, and then you get to run and you hide. And so once you find your hiding spot, you cram yourself into your little closet or, or you know, you go under the bed because they'll never look there, right? Um, but but, but you, you find a spot that you think no one will ever find you. And once you find it, then you wait, right? You just, you're in there, you're underneath some blankets or whatever, and you just wait, But you wait with a a certain sense of anticipation because everybody knows when it comes to hide and seek that the only thing more fun than hiding is what? It's being found. It's when they finally discover and you're like, oh, you caught me. Or when you hear them coming really close with their little footsteps, right? And you're like, oh, no, you don't want to make a sound. You don't even want to breathe because it's that whole anticipation of somebody's coming. But if you're like me though, when you played this game, there were times when you would find a hiding spot and, and you, would, you would get into that place and you waited and you waited, and you were convinced that you had like the greatest hiding spot in the world, right? You're a genius. Like you're a perfect match for the CIA someday, right? To just be one of those kinds of people because you're so smart, and they're never going to find you, right? But after you've been there for a certain period of time, all of a sudden this horrible thought hits you that, that maybe you're not really a ninja after all, you know? Maybe the reason that you haven't been found is because no one is actually looking for you anymore. They've stopped playing the game. And that would happen to me, right? They all quit and they don't tell you. So you have this horrible thought like, oh no. And so you subtly emerge from your hiding spot, coming out a little bit more and more, and and then you see them, there they are, all eating pizza and watching a movie. And, oh, yeah, I forgot we forgot about you, right? Yeah, thanks a lot. I've been there for an hour and a half, you know. <laughs> but, but you're like, what's going on? Because everybody knows that the only thing more fun than hiding is what? It's being found. And it's the worst thing in the world to realize that no one is looking. And so it's in the midst of that idea that we start our new series simply called 139. And over the next six weeks, we're going to look at a song in the Bible, the 139th song, otherwise known as a psalm. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's right in the middle. So you just open it up. It should be right there about in the middle. And the whole song is written by a guy named David, King David of Israel. And all it really is is just this response to this amazing fact That he has been found by God. That the God of the universe has searched him out, has pursued him, and never stopped looking for him. And that in all of the universe, David himself is that important to God to be sought after. And even when he thought he was lost, he was found. And you know, it's especially relevant now Because we have a loneliness epidemic in our society. In fact, according to this study that was released in May of this year in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, they found out that the majority of people report that either sometimes or all of the time, they feel like no one really knows them, that they're totally alone in the world. This is especially true among young people who are reporting this at even higher levels than older people, and that's kind of strange, right, because you think that especially young people would have all of this connectivity in their lives. You know, you can FaceTime, you can Snapchat, you can do all these kinds of things to be able to stay in constant contact with people. I mean, even on the way over to church this morning, my daughter was like frantically texting you know, and she wasn't saying. And I'm like, "Who are you talking to?" And she's like, "No one. It's not important." Um, but it was obviously very important because she's like, Brr, "Right?" But 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 this is what. The, but it doesn't matter. They still feel very very alone. And so there they are in their little hiding spot, and no one is looking for them. No one is searching for them, and they feel very forgotten. And so I wonder, as we start off today, I mean, is that you? Because the study says it's half of us. So if there's half of the people in America, there's got to be at least more than a few in this room who have this nagging feeling. And you wonder, does anyone really know me? Does anyone really care about me? Does anyone know what I'm going through? Do my thoughts matter? Does this life matter? If I were to disappear, would the world just keep turning at all? Like, does, does it matter at all? And this problem with this is this causes all kinds of bad and destructive behavior. Because you will stay in relationships that are abusive because you'd rather do that than be alone. You get involved in relationships that are unhealthy because you'd rather stay involved in those things than be alone. Not only that, but maybe what you do is you're somebody who agrees to compromise your morals or your boundaries or compromise part of your dignity because if you make decisions like that, at least you won't be alone. You're around the wrong kind of people, but at least you won't be alone, right? Or maybe it's you've you've kind of, Gone into substance abuse to kind of medicate yourself, to be able to deal with this nagging pain. Or maybe your thoughts just drift into despair and darkness, because as the study says, no one really knows you. So it's in this psalm where we're going to see the heart of God, the love of God, and the power of God, maybe in a way we've never have before. And when we see like like, and this is what's going to be amazing, is you see the heart of God and the power of God. And this is what's important. Whenever God is elevated, human dignity is always elevated. It always is. But whenever God is taken out of the equation in a society or a community or whatever, humanity begins to be degraded. It happens every single time. And so as we elevate, as we fix our thoughts upon God and who he is and what he's done, we'll find that we ourselves are elevated. And so I think this is so important, this psalm, that there's a little challenge that I want to issue to you, and it's found in your program. And the challenge is going to be this. I want us, I I think we can do this, I want us to memorize this entire psalm. Not today, but you have six weeks to memorize the entire Psalm 139, and the way that we can help you with this is we gave you this little card here that you can pull out, and this is just what we're going to look at today. This is the first six verses. But you can take this and keep it with you and remind yourself and just try to each day read this. And I want to encourage you to do something a little bit different. To read this out loud. Because I think this particular passage might have a really dramatic effect on your life if you heard it read in your own voice. And you heard it read to God as, as said as a prayer to God. Because it was written as a song to God. As though he's speaking to God. And I, I, so my challenge to you because even when you memorize something it helps to have it like to hear it not just see it but to hear it in your in your and your voice so you can have your you're using more senses but if you were to read this out loud like go to some quiet place in your house or whatever else and read this out loud and listen to your own voice read this and see how it changes some of the assumptions that you've had for a long time and so in addition to that, too, as long as I've got this, these are questions for reflection because we're not doing connection groups right now. So these questions for reflections are, are things that you can just read and on your own time and just think and, and process more about what we're going to talk about today. So these are the lyrics to David's song, and we're going to start. Actually, we're going to read them out loud. We're going to read them out loud together now, so we'll start by doing that. So, so here we go. We're going to read this whole, and you have it right there in your program, and you can, we're going to read this whole thing out loud together, um, and then we'll go from there. Okay, you ready? All right, here we go. and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Now, when you read something like this, some of you might be wondering, okay, is this really true? I mean, could God really have this level of detail on me? Is he really that interested? Could he know all of this stuff about me, like what I'm going to do before I even do it? Or what I'm gonna say before I even say it? but you know, it shouldn't really be all that surprising because honestly, your smartphone can do half the stuff in this passage already, right? If you think about it, it's really true. I mean, it's like Alexa. If you, if, does anybody have Alexa? If you have Alexa, she, trust me, she has searched you and she knows you. Oh yeah, she does. She knows when you sit and when you rise up. She, we have luck. Elect- she knows when I walk in, walk in the room. She lights up when I walk in the room. Kinda like my wife. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but, 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 but she does, it's creepy, right? You, you, if you have an Apple watch, this is a Garmin, but if you have an Apple watch, that sucker can search out your path and you're lying down, it can track your sleep and what kind of sleep that you have. Or if you're, if you're sleeping well or not. It's acquainted with all of your ways. And all you gotta do is get onto Google before you even type something in on the search bar. It knows what you're going to type. You know that, right? You're like, whoa. Like I typed in Sherwin-Williams Paints because I was gonna do some painting. I typed in Sher, and it's like Sherwin-Williams Paints. It knows what I'm thinking. And my whole point is this, if a piece of wearable technology that costs a few hundred bucks can do half of the stuff on this list, why should it be that much of a reach that God could easily do the same thing about us, in regards to us? But the difference is, however, in the motivation. Now we get a little creeped out by Alexa and it kind of creeps me out that my watch will buzz when I get in the car and it will say we'll 15 minutes to you know, basically get to church. I'm like, how did you know I was going to the church, right? But it just knows. It's just in the traffic and whatever else and it tells me before, I don't have to tell it what I'm doing. And while that might be kind of creepy, The reality is, we know that it's a machine, it's not personal, and it's programmed, it's all algorithm, and the design is so that the the people running all this stuff can basically figure out ways to sell more stuff to us, and the more of us, then they can sell. So this is that, but God's motivation is totally different. And this is where we get into kind of the nitty gritty of our message here. Because while all your, your technology can search out things about you and they have commercial reasons, God's reason is a little bit different and the reason is this, and I have it up on the screen. Because you study what you love. You study what you value. You study what is deeply important to you. You become an expert in what really matters and what you see as precious. And so God studies what he loves. He takes extreme interest in and with extreme seriousness, he pursues his creation and those who have been made in his image and keeps very fine records. You think the data collection that they have on the barge or whatever is a big deal. It's nothing compared to God's data collection of you. And so when we look again at our passages, it says you have searched me and know me. And that word search means to explore or ascertain or discover and David is blown away by the idea that every single human being all seven plus billion plus I mean all the people that have passed away whatever but all of the people in creation that have ever existed God has searched and explored and studied in great detail and why is that because you study and become an expert in that in which you love and is precious to you now this is true about guys, you can really understand this, right? Guys, you really get this. So like for example, my dad. My dad, he loves airplanes. My dad, he's been flying planes forever, and my dad has, a, he actually has a, a little plane over that he keeps at the Goodyear Airport. And so he flies a couple times a week and, and no one knows more about airplanes than my dad. I promise. My dad knows more about the details of airplanes and all the different kinds than anyone I've ever met in my life. And it was amazing growing up because, you know, we grow up and then like you, we were in LA where we grew up and you'd see like a plane crash on TV, like a small plane would crash and the news would come out. And there would be like this, nothing but this pile of charred rubble, you know, on the ground. And, and, and in the midst of the rubble, there'd be like a little tiny piece of the tail sticking up, right, that hadn't been completely destroyed, and the poor, you know, news reporter, he get up there and say, well, uh, <clears throat> experts have said that this is a 1983 Cessna 172, and my dad would look at the TV and go, no, it's not. It's a 1984 Cessna 182, because in 84, they changed the paint scheme on the tail to widen the little stripe, and they went to two stripes, and they widened it over here, and they had a different kind of color scheme, and he knows exactly what kind of plane it is from the little tiny piece of the wreckage that is left. And he would turn out to be right. And it blew my mind. I go, how do you know that? Because my my dad's a bright guy, but he's still a dude, right? I mean, he's hard pressed to find the cereal aisle in the average grocery store. (laughs) But he loves airplanes. He's been flying them since he was 17 years old. And because of that, he has this intimate and exhaustive knowledge of everything about them that would blow your mind. And you guys know this as well, too. If you say you're going to be a fan of something, like, you know, we have all these people that move here from Wisconsin and Minnesota. And so if you're like a Packers fan or a Vikings fan, if you're going to be a real fan, right, you got to know the history of your team. You got to know the players. You got to know the coaches. You got to know the win-loss records. All this kind of stuff. And if you're around somebody who's wearing all the, you know, the jersey and whatever, but they don't have that detail, like, you know what? You're not really a fan. You're an imposter because the true fan would have detailed knowledge about the history of the team and all of the other details. Otherwise, you're basically a poser. And nobody likes a poser because they're inauthentic and they're not real. And ladies, you know this as well. I know that if I'm going to buy my wife flowers, the only kind of flowers that I'm going to buy her are either—wait, let me think— No, I'm totally kidding. No, I just, I had a little mental moment. Um, They're either going to be tulips or they're going to be sunflowers. But tulips only bloom in the spring, pretty much. And sunflowers, you know, you can get different times of the year. But she doesn't like just any bouquet of flowers. So I've I've brought home in the past, like, the like when they kind of spray paint, the kind of looking flowers, like, the kind of, like, artificial colors. And she's just like, she goes, I don't like these flowers. So it's almost worse for me to just come home with any bouquet of flowers. Like, here you go. Because it's a demonstration that I'm not attentive and aware of what she likes. I don't, I, it, it demonstrates a lack of knowledge of her. And so that's why, guys, details, when it comes to your lady, are really important. Like, oh, I thought our anniversary was yesterday, ha, 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 or today, or whatever. You don't want to do that. Because for ladies, details indicate love, indicate attentiveness, Indicate interest, and when you get those details wrong, you it's very hard to recover from that. You can. I can I've lived to tell about it, but anyway, what's the point? You study what you love, and God studies what he loves. And if God said that he loved you and yet didn't have the level of detail that we're talking about, if God loved you and didn't know at least as much about you as your smartphone, then he would be a poser God. And this is the problem because so many of us walk around going, oh, God doesn't care about me. Like there's a God and I guess he's, like, but he doesn't really, how, well, how do he, he doesn't take an interest in me. He doesn't really, he's got so many other things to do, you know, really. Um, but it's like, he, he doesn't know all this stuff about me. Well, then he's a bad God. I mean, seriously. He's a poser God. He's not. If he says he loves you, but he doesn't know anything about you to, and, and doesn't have all this intimate detail, then he's not a very good God. Now, this is why Jesus says, every hair on your head is numbered. Isn't that amazing to think about? Like, there's some low-level angel up in heaven <laughs> whose job it is is to keep a record of how many hairs are on your head. Now, for some of you, that's not that hard of a job. <laughs> yeah, but, that's, but, but I don't think that's hyperbolic. I think that's actually true because he cares so much for you that he has an inventory of all of the hair on your head. That's crazy to me. You got to really let that sink in. That's not poetic, because it was in the context of God taking care of us. This is what, in the in context of Jesus speaking in the New Testament, Matthew, when he says, look, you don't worry about your life. God's got you. You don't have, you don't have a clue that's the level of detail he has on you. So he goes on. He says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path. So you know when I get up and when I go to sleep. You know my thoughts, like my motivations, my intentions. You can read my mind. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my, you know all my habits. Even before a word is on my tongue. You know it all together. Now, when I would read this in the past, I would think, well, that's easy because God knows the future. And the future, you know, God isn't bound to time. God created time. He exists outside of it. He can interact with it, but he exists outside. He's not bound to it. So time is like, all of history is like a parade, right? So it's like a parade marching down, and God can go in and out of it. And like, you, just like you could watch a parade, and you could watch the front, you could watch the middle, you could watch the back, and go back and watch the front. And that, that's how time is, I go, well, because God knows the future, he knows what's gonna happen, so he can fast forward the, the, you know, the show and he can see. But that's not the reason that God knows all these things about you. God knows these things about you because he knows you so well. He's, he doesn't even need to know the future. I believe he does, but he doesn't need to because he can predict your actions so well because you are that predictable because the more you know something, the more you can predict its, out- its, its actions and the outcome. It's like if you hang out with me for a week, I mean, I'm not that complicated of a dude. You're like, if you hang out with Tim for a week, you'll see about 11.30, his little car starts to move over towards Chipotle or someplace. I've been going to the habit more too. I like that place also. But it's like, but there's not gonna be a scenario between 11.30 and 12.30 where I am not eating. And so that's just what's good. But it's like, that's not that hard. So you, you see all this, this is, the. I can predict the behavior. I can predict the behavior because I know you so well. And by the way, he even talks about thoughts. And this is so important, because here, here's the deal, guys. You're never alone, even in your own thoughts. You're never alone, even in your own thoughts. And that's the concept of conscience. And we've talked about this before. But it's important, it bears repeating. The word conscience, like the conscious, that little, that little thing, like you have a little angel on your shoulder, and the little devil on your shoulder, that whole concept, right? Of Like, I, feel, I did this, and I feel bad. Why do you do this and feel bad? You didn't get caught, because there's a... Well the word conscience is the conflating of con, which means with, and science, which means knowledge. So it's um, with knowledge, so it's knowledge with God. So, so there's a knowledge with someone else. So the reason you feel terrible about something is because you know you're not the only one who knows, that God knows, and you know that God knows. And so that's what, ha- so that's why even an atheist has a conscience, but they try so hard. Atheists go to such great lengths to try to prove th- th- that someone they've never seen before doesn't exist. Like, I never do that, but they do that because they can't help but get away from the fact that there is something going on in there, and they're trying to say, no, 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 and stamp it out, right? And, and so yet there's this whole thing of we know, we know deep down that we're not alone. And so there was this movie, Castaway, remember with Tom Hanks, I actually dressed up like him for Trunk or Treat last year. And my wife was supposed to be Wilson, the volleyball, but she wasn't able to show up because she got tied up with something with our kids. So anyway, but, but I, was, I had the little uh, box with the angel wings and stuff. But if you remember Castaway from 2000 is when it came out. So it's like 18 years old. But Tom Hanks' character is that he gets stranded on this tropical island for like four years and he's all alone. Like how is this guy gonna survive all alone? And the only thing that keeps him from killing himself is this friendship that he forges with this volleyball. Remember? Remember Wilson? Wilson, I got a picture of him up here. So there's Wilson, right? And Wilson was created because he cut his hand and then so he rubbed the blood on the volleyball and he made this like... like print right of his hand and then put a little eyes and then that's his buddy now right and, and if you watch the movie what happens is hanks has like these intimate conversations with wilson with this volleyball and he projects like himself onto this volleyball but it's an inanimate object right but it's very interesting because the movie has no acknowledgement of God at all. It's like like the, the whole idea of the spiritual dimension doesn't even exist in the movie. So, so it's reduced to this dimension. Where, but, but what's so interesting is they couldn't get away with making the movie where he was truly alone. He had to have something to which he could relate to. And so it's so interesting because when he's talking, he's talking as though Wilson knows everything about him. And can and can like can, can he just like doesn't even have to say it he just like he knows what's going on and like Wilson can almost discern what's going on in here and they have these interesting conversations and he gives him encouragement and he gives him this sense of, of that he's not totally alone in all the world and so they become the best of friends right until tragically when they, they escape the island and he's out on the raft. And the storm comes or whatever and this big wave comes and the raft tips over and Wilson floats away. And it's one of the saddest scenes in all of movie history, right? Do you remember that? Wilson, right? You remember, he's screaming and he's crying. I mean, we showed it to our kids when they were little. They are crying, you know, they need counseling now because the volleyball floated away. And you're like, it's a volleyball, but, th- but it's not because when, he, when, when little Wilson floats away, Tom Hanks grieves with the type of grief that's not just I lost a friend because I can replace a friend. But when, when Wilson floats away, it's like he lost part of himself. It's like the only person, the only thing that he thought knew him and now he grieves the grief of a man who believes that he is truly alone in the universe and he cannot deal with that. He cannot deal with that. And so to me, I find it very interesting in a movie that the first thing you would want to do if you were in a situation like that would be pray to God because that's all you have left. There had to be some kind of God substitute. There had to be someone that had knowledge with or the human can't be human. But the great thing about you and I is that God never floats away. And that's a message that many of you desperately need to hear, especially our young people. You know, I'm so... I'm so tired of hearing of like these young girls and young guys who have all of this life ahead of them and all of these possibilities and live in this beautiful country with so many opportunities and they're not on the run from warlords or they're not being oppressed by some evil tyrannical regime. We have so much liberty and so many opportunities and yet there's so much depression. I don't mean clinical because that's a different thing but what I mean is just this sense of lostness and negativity and doubt and so they hurt themselves. Why? Because they feel like they're totally alone. Now all of this being said up until this point now, the next thing that I want you to get about this passage that I think is critically important is this, and I'd say it if you don't get anything else out of this message today, this is kind of like the main point, right? This is like what you came for. Because of God's deep knowledge of me, I can then completely trust his plans for me. That's really important. Listen, because of God's intimate and detailed and thorough knowledge. He knows you more than you know yourself, which is kind of crazy. But because of God's intimate and deep knowledge about me or of me, I can then completely trust his plans for me. Now I say this to you because then there's a shift here in this whole thing. Because he says, "You hem me in behind and before." So all this is like you know all these things about me, but now there's a, there's something that you're doing, God. So all this before was like detailing of okay, you're like keeping records of when I get up and when I ride, you know, when I lay down and when I speak and before I speak and blah blah blah. But now we move to an action that God is doing, and so he says, "You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me." And I guess some of you guys, you need to read that out loud and let yourself hear yourself say that because a lot of you don't believe that. And I know when I read this, it was an emotional thing for me because I just went, that's an amazing thought. But different translations of that original Hebrew phrase say it differently. So they say things like, You encircle me. You barricade me. You squeeze me in from behind and in front. You are all around me in front and in back. I look behind me and you're there, then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. That's like an amazing thing when you think about the power and the presence of God being right there all the time, and it reminds me of St. Patrick's breastplate, the great prayer of St. Patrick, where he says, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, Christ in every every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. And he goes on to talk about because of this protection and this presence that's so close, I don't fear burning or drowning or falling off a cliff because these were realities for him. He was living in Ireland and it was kind of a crazy place and they were afraid of all the elements. They believed that they would come to life. And and, and St. Patrick's is saying, I don't fear these elements because I have Christ all around me. I can't get away from him. And you see, there may be some of us saying, well, if God knows this much about me, why does he then seem to be content to leave me in the situation that I'm in? You know what I mean? Like, well, God, if you know this much about me, and you know my desires, and you know my habits, you know all these things I'm trying to do, like, can you just help me? Why does it seem like, like I'm not getting to where I want to go? Why does it seem like you are distant, and you are far away? I think that's a legitimate question. That's a legitimate question that some of us may be asking. Like, God, if you, if you have all this data on me, and you love me so much, and you're so like passionate about pursuing me, and you can do everything and anything. See, it'd be one thing to say, well, look, you know, God doesn't really have all this knowledge about me, so I can't expect him. He, he's too busy to be able to do these things. But if you know God has the ability to, to help you and, and the knowledge and the love for you, then it's kind of hard, right? It's like, well, then what am I doing in this spot? And this is where we kind of have to, like, I'm gonna push us a little bit. I might even kind of bug you a little bit. Like, I might, I might make you a little mad, because we're going to have to kind of, this isn't like 101, you know, Jesus is the right answer in the blank and then we can all go home and whatever. It's like, this is like 201, 301 level stuff. So I'm going to push you a little bit. See, because I believe and we believe here at Compass Church that many, that, that, that you can change your situation in life. Like a lot of people, what they do is they just kind of sit back and they kind of wait for things to happen and they're angry and bitter at life because this person has that and this person has that. And it's like, well, then go, go, go out there and do what you want to do. You know, if you, if you want to get a job, then position yourself for that job. If you want to make a certain amount of money, then do, you know, th- figure that out and back up and, and see what opportunities you have and lean into it, right? And work hard. Don't just sit around and wait for things to happen. And so sometimes Christians can even become passive people. I'm waiting for God to drop this magic solution in my lap. And it's like, well, he gave you two arms and two legs and a brain and people around you, so just go. So we're, we're big believers here in working hard and seizing opportunity and not making excuses. And so all of that is true. And some of us need to, you know, humble ourselves and put our heads down and inject some serious discipline into our life and, and, and move forward and everything else and get moving. So there's a certain concept where that's true. But there are also people... Who are in situations that they legitimately cannot change. In other words, you're at a place in life where you have responsibilities that you can't run away from. And you have, you know, you're just you're in a spot where maybe some terrible things have happened to you and you can't undo that stuff, right? You can't undo the abuse that's been that's happened to you in your life. And I was thinking about this a lot because. The idea of hemming in, on the one hand, it has to do with protection, but it also has to do with limitation. And this is where it's hard. Because, you know, and I'll be honest with you guys, like there there are times when in in life, like for me, you know, I'm going to play, I mean, we're all on the the journey. Like I'm on the journey with you just like everybody else, you know. There's times in life where I'm like, man, (laughs) you know, it's like, how did I get here, right? And I love where I am, believe me. I love, like, oh, so many aspects. but it's like, back in the day, you know, like, I just took my son out to visit some colleges and stuff, and so we were out of Pepperdine University, where I went for my alma mater, and it's like, back then, I was, like, early 20s, and, like, the biggest the biggest concern in my life was, you know, um, I don't know, like, passing a test or whatever, which at the time is big, but I mean, I had, it was just me and my Toyota truck, and life was pretty good, right? And I didn't have to worry about a lot, but here you are. It's like, now I'm in my life. It's like, okay, I've got three kids, and I can't fail them, and, you know, I can't really get rid of them. They're my kids, and so I have. I love them, and they're great, but there they are, and they're like, they need stuff, right? They need, I don't know, they need money for college, and they need like food and stuff, so I'm on the hook for that, and I can't fail my wife, you know, I can't can't do that, and and I can't fail you guys, because I'm, you know, I'm your pastor, so I can't like, but, and I don't want to fail in any of those areas, but sometimes the responsibilities that are required in order to not fail in those areas are increasing and they become more and more and they kind of like they kind of get around your neck sometimes and you're just like, oh my gosh, how am I gonna do all this? How am I gonna do all this, right? I mean, has anyone ever felt like that, right? It's like, here I am, right? And it's like, okay, I, I, this is what I wanted, but now I'm here and I'm... And, but there's part of you that goes, okay, well... You know, and, and it's easy to look around and go, like, God, gosh, you know, God, why am, I, why am I not here? Why am I not there? Why, why isn't this happening? Why isn't that happening? And I think this is a heavy concept, but I want you to hear this. Because this is where we grow up. There are some things that God is not gonna give you. Because if he gave them to you, they would destroy you. It's like winning the lottery. People go, "Whoa, well, I just really wish I could win the lottery. Well, you're probably not going to win the lottery because if you won the lottery, it would probably destroy you. $500 million in your pocket, and your life is probably over. Do you ever, you ever trace the stories of the lives of the people who win the lottery? It's not good. So here you are. So you're looking for an easy way out. You're looking for some kind of escape hatch. You're looking for some kind of quick fix or whatever else, and you feel limited stuck. God may not give you the things that you think you want because if he gave them to you, they might very well destroy you. And in the same token, there are things that God is not gonna give you because by withholding them, you then become the person he wants you to be and created you to be. There are some things that God's not gonna give you because by withholding those things, you actually become the person he wants you to be. And here's the deal, God knows you very well. And there are times in my life where I've gone, you know what, God, why, why hasn't this happened? Why hasn't that happened? Why, why didn't this happen over here? And these little things that you get, right? And everybody deals with And sometimes I just feel like, weighed down by responsibilities, right? Like I said, the kids and my family and and this and you guys and everything else, and I'm going, ah, right? All these things, and, and, and yet in the peaceful moments or when the clouds part and I get into this scripture, I hear God saying, Jacobs, I know you. And I've placed an appropriate amount of weight on you Because I'm making you into the person that I created you to be. So you need to manage that weight. And you need to manage that challenge that you have. And you need to manage the realities of the X, Y, and Z things that you wish that you had, that you think would make your life so much better and easier and whatever. This is where we grow up. So if I realize that God actually has an intimate knowledge of me, like serious, then maybe I can trust his plan for me. But it's not what I wanted. It's what you needed. We have a guy in our church who's blind he came up to me after church. I think I might have mentioned this in one of the services. It blew me away, actually. I've rarely heard someone speak with this amount of maturity. And I'm sure he struggles once in a while. But he, he came up to me after church on a Saturday. He had his little dog. And he said, you know, I think that God allowed me to be blind. And one of the reasons he allowed me to be blind was because maybe if I had sight I would have ruined myself. But he's placed a limitation on me that's caused me to be dependent upon him throughout the course of my life. And so I'm grateful for that limitation. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Those words came out of a person's mouth. But see guys, it's either that or it's bitterness and it's anger cuz he knows the goal is the goal is heaven guys the goal is heaven so when we kind of grow up a little bit and we toughen up a little bit and we start actually zooming out and going, okay, God, you know me and you have a hedge of protection around me. You, I can't get away from your presence. So we're gonna talk about that more next week because that's where it starts to go even, you know, even more into detail about that. But God, I, you, you, you hem me in. And part of that hemming in is limiting factors that he places on you. And I'm not saying that every bad thing that happens to you or everything you don't have is, is, is essentially a limiting factor because you might end up getting that thing, okay? But you know what I'm talking about. When, when, when there's things in life and you're like, wait a second, this was supposed to happen, that was supposed to happen, he knows you and he is watching over you and he is taking care of you and he is walking with you and he puts the appropriate amount of weight on you so you can be strengthened, And so our blind man who lost his sight but has gained tremendous insight because there's plenty of morons out there with 20-20 vision who are just going to party their way straight into hell with no acknowledgement of God or even why they exist on the planet. Just a complete obliviousness to their own existence and the miracle of that. So you have to pick He concludes with this, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. See, what's crazy about this is that in all of this, he knows you, and he's still here, and you're still here. I mean, I've thought about that. I've thought, because I mean, I, I have a bad attitude sometimes, um, and I, I don't always say things that are pastorally, <laughs> And I don't always think things that are appropriate for a pastor because I'm a, I'm a dude and I'm a human being just like everybody else. And there's times I've thought, man, God, you know all this stuff. And yet my heart's still beating in my chest. I mean, you haven't <laughs> zapped me like a bug, man. What does that tell me? That there's grace. You love, you know me. Int- intimately and intricately, and you still sent your Son Jesus to pay for my sins on the cross. You still wanted to wash m- my sins away and make me clean and make me pure as we just as we just practice communion, you still wanted to have communion with me. You still wanted to welcome me in to your existence and your plan and your heaven that blows me away. Have you contemplated that? Not just the depth of knowledge. Because God knows what you're thinking, so what are you thinking? God knows what you're doing, so what are you doing? But even when you fail, and we do all the time, I'll be the first one to admit it. I'll be the leader of the failures. (laughs) That's me. Jesus was sent even after all that to step into my place and become all of that rottenness. And that's a beautiful thing. So when I think he says, you know, this this knowledge is so is high is too wonderful for me. I think I think in part that's a that's just like being blown away. See, when you have high thoughts of God, you have high thoughts of everything else. The knowledge of God always elevates. It always elevates. It always it always expands the mind. Whenever you take God out of the equation, you just devolve. You just you just focus on all that you can see and you become more animal like. And 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 people know this and but whenever you have great thoughts of God, your mind opens and I think he sees all that, but I think it's not just that. It's you see all of that and yet I am still here. And so we sing about this song, the song we sang right before, the, the you know, singing about the great love of God. So I want you to memorize this passage because it will be good for all of us to do so. To apply yourself and read it out loud with that little card, read it out loud to you and let your heal, let your voice let ring into your ears. Every thought you know, God, every little bit of my life you know. He's gonna say later on, and we'll talk about this that, that he knit us together in our mother's womb, like your grandma would knit in a little chair, right? Shh. Right, all the little parts. And that stands so much in the face of everything that the world is trying to tell you, there's no plan, there's no purpose, there's no meaning, there's no design, you're nothing. No, 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 no. You have a God who cares deeply for you. Let me pray for you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you would like to surrender that life to Jesus, if you'd like to get to that place where you say, I'm ready to acknowledge the one who has always been there but whom I have ignored, then I just want you to say, God, today I give you my life. I don't need to tell you all these things because you know them already anyway. I don't need to... Spend all of this time trying to get you to know me because you already do and yet you still love me. But I have some deep issues. And so God, I need you to give me a new start. And I'm asking that you would take all of my sins that you already know and you'd cast them upon your son who died on that cross and paid for them and they died with him Never to be brought up again. Never to be dredged. Thrown into the deepest sea. An infinite pit. Gone, separated from me as far as the east is from the west. An incalculable distance. Renew me. I will follow you. There's others of us who today maybe what we need to do is we need to re-surrender. Maybe you've agreed years ago, you've asked Jesus to come into your life, you called yourself a Christian, but you need to re-surrender. You say, God, I re-surrender my life to you right now. I know that you know all things. You've been watching my getting up and my lying down and you've been listening to my thoughts and looking at my actions and quite frankly, they're not really all that good. But will you help me? And you've put a limiting factor in my life right now and I know what Pastor Tim's talking about. You've put that limiting factor in my life right now and I've fought you on it. But I'm gonna step back with faith and I'm gonna bear some of that weight and I'm gonna trust that you know me and so I'm gonna trust your plan. God, thank you that These words can have a radical impact in our lives. And I pray specifically for anyone who's walking into a dark place right now, that they would experience the comfort of your spirit. They are not alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.cobleschurch.info and we'll see you next time.